0: I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement, and my guest today is Starhawk.
1: I think a lot of people break through the denial about what's going on, and it's really easy to sink into these little cycles of despair and worry and anxiety, and where everything looks bleak and impossible, and people are just in a tailspin. And I think it's really important right now that we actually realize there are tremendous solutions for our environmental problems, um, that we really know what we need to do. We have the tools, and there are a million ways to put them into practice in your own life, um, in your own home. Uh, There are a million different things to get involved in. If you find yourself generating a lot of worry and negative energy, Find something to get involved in that you can put some of that energy into and something that really calls to you to work on. Uh, And that way, you know, you start to do something. Uh, Al Gore in his movie uh, says, you know, a lot of people move right from denial to despair without ever stopping in between to do anything (laughs) constructive. And if we do do something constructive, then we start to also generate those constructive and healing energies. It creates a field and in the long run, you know, I do believe that the earth is alive and is a conscious being uh, and, and has a stake in our survival as humans as well as the whole survival of biodiversity. And when you start to work with the living world in the natural world, then there are immense forces working with us for the healing of the earth. It's a magical teaching that we're surrounded by helpful, benevolent powers and beings that want to help us. They just need to be asked, and they do need to be asked. So we can ask, and part of the way we ask is by what we do. You know, It might be as simple as turning off the lights or uh, instead of using your dryer, hanging out your clothes. You know.
0: Starhawk is one of the most respected voices in modern Earth-based spirituality. She is also well-known as a global justice activist and organizer whose work and writings have inspired many to action. She is the author or co-author of 10 books. Starhawk is perhaps best known as an articulate pioneer in the revival of Earth-based spirituality and goddess religion. Welcome, Starhawk. Thanks. And we're here to talk about Winter Solstice. In my reading about what you have done, and you've written many, many books on the practice of Wicca. I understand that you uh, began though as a psychotherapist.
1: That's right, that's what my graduate work was in. I practiced a, a little bit as a psychotherapist, but I actually had written The Spiral Dance before I went back to graduate school and was already doing Wicca. And so, um, right at the time when I graduated, I also started traveling and teaching a lot, and I found the the one primary requirement for being a psychotherapist is you have to be there for people. You know, and that means you actually have to be there, right?
0: And did you find the practices of uh that you were taught in graduate school about uh psychotherapy and was it depth psychology or Rogerian or
1: Um, At the time that I went, I was in a feminist therapy program at Antioch College West, which unfortunately no longer exists, but the program moved to New College when Antioch closed. And I found it was a wonderful program for me. You know, um, I learned a lot of, I learned what the standard thinking about psychotherapy was at that time. And I think that's useful to know. That was in the early 80s. So it was a lot of object relations theory and depth psychology. Um, but I also had all the courses in the women's studies department, and you know, where we could look at it from that other perspective, question some of the assumptions, uh, and were really encouraged to trust our own experience and go with what our own interests were as far as research and writing. So we did a regular degree program in psychology, but we had this added emphasis on women's studies and on feminist theory and thinking.
0: But you were also uh, practicing Wiccan.
1: Yes, at I that was time. already a practicing Wiccan and teaching ritual and training people in magic. So one of my interests was always how did psychology and magical practice go together? Uh, one time when I thought I would really be doing was you know finding links between the two and reframing one in the terms of the other. I got less interested in the theory of it and decided after I got my master's not to go on for a Ph.D. Um, and found that what I really enjoyed was working with groups rather than doing the one-on-one individual thing. So,
0: I was reading The Spiral Dance, and that was the first book that you published. Mm-hmm. You speak about magic as the art of sensing and shaping the subtle unseen forces flow through the world, awakening to the levels of consciousness beyond the rational. Can you talk to us about what it is that you do that affords people an awareness about shaping the subtle forces?
1: I guess where I'd start with that is to say that all of us go in and out of different states of consciousness all the time. You know, if, if you've ever kind of been driving on the freeway, you know, going to visit your aunt and all of a sudden you realize you've turned off at the place you turn off to work every day and you don't remember doing it, you know, you've been in trance, right? Um, if you've ever walked into the supermarket thinking you were going to get uh, one carton of low-fat soy milk and, you know, some broccoli and come out with uh, a gallon of chocolate ice cream, you know, right? and a bag of potato chips you know you've had your consciousness altered uh, and forgotten the broccoli you know? uh, that you know if you've ever stood and looked at the sunset and just been enraptured by it, you know, or you've ever written a poem or a story or a song and felt like something was moving through you rather than you were doing something. You know, you've been in an altered state of consciousness. Uh, So what we do in magical training and teaching is, first of all, to start to notice what state of consciousness you're in. Um, You know, if you watch TV a lot, uh, there's a particular state of consciousness you're in when you're watching commercials, you know, that sort of suspended, you know, you're all caught up in the drama of something and then, like, you suspend you know, get bored, go do something else, flip the channel, and then you come back and flip in to interest again, you know. Is she going to get through the operation? Right? Will she live? Yeah. Yeah. So just starting to be aware of that, and then starting to realize that we have some choice in what state of consciousness we can be in. If we learn to recognize a particular state, uh, you know, and one that we work with a lot is what we call being grounded, being connected to the earth, being present, being sort of somewhat in neutral, you know, where you're not like pumping out huge amounts of energy, um, but you're, like I think of it, to use a mechanical metaphor, that place on the car when you're shifting gears, you know, that's in the middle, where you can shift up or you can shift down, you know. um, but that's a good base place, you know, like a baseline. So learning to get into that state, to recognize it, and then developing tools that can help you get into that state quickly when you need to. Uh, Because that's a very good state to be in when you need to respond to an emergency, uh, when you're in a dangerous situation. It's also a really good state to be in when you're walking in the forest or you're watching that sunset and you want to open up to the rapture, And you want to turn off that little voice that says, you know, you didn't check your email this morning, and you were supposed to email him back, and, you know, so-and-so called, and, you know, your house is really dirty, (laughs) right? So learning how to do that, making that part of your practice, and then when you open up particular states of awareness, you start to also become conscious that we are physical beings, but that... Those physical beings are expressions of energy, and energy is always moving through us, radiating out from us, and we can actually sense that energy directly. Uh, and we do actually sense that all the time. It's just that most of the time we tell ourselves, No, oh, yeah, I should. Well,
0: eat. this culture doesn't really allow for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, dogs sense it, and everyone who has a dog knows that if your dog really dislikes somebody instantly. Don't sign on that dotted line. Right, <laughs> you know, right. Right?
0: So it's a, being able to have an awareness and perhaps even a command of your own conscious awareness. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: But what about the shaping of the subtle forces?
1: So the shaping of the subtle forces, uh, the magical traditions, teach us that energy follows intention and is directed uh, through images through tangible things we can see and touch or representations of those things in our minds that evoke emotions. So to shape and shift energies, first of all, you get clear on what your intention is, and then you create some sort of symbolic act or symbolic object or symbolic image to be a focus for that intention. Uh, And then you create some emotion, Um, you know, you evoke your emotion and you evoke uh, your own energy, you know, in different ways, chanting or dancing or drumming or singing or meditating with that symbolic object that represents your intention as your focus.
0: So it's really the emotion that is the driver of that?
1: Often, yeah. I mean there t- it's not always emotion but emotion's a good way of getting it going. You know? exactly. So for example, let's say um you know your intention is love. You, know? you want to bring love into your life. You're lonely, you know. Uh first you have to get clear, with, you know, like uh is your intention that you want uh deep, long-term, committed love is your intention that uh, you want a wild, exciting fling on a beach, you know, right, somewhere licking mangoes, you know, right? (laughs) right, you know, is your great dream to have a family where your partner will just call you up and say, honey, can you pick the kids up from the soccer game, you know. You find the images that kind of represent what your desire is. And and they have to be positive images. You know, you can't say, oh, great goddess of love, don't send me another rotten lover like the one that I just got rid of. Because then you're focused on that rotten lover and the emotions that came up when you... He woke up on your birthday, said I'm going out for a cup of milk and didn't come home till three days later without the milk and right? <laughs> right you know. And that's what's attracting the energy and you tend to uh find yourself another lover who might look completely different, talk completely different, come from a completely different background, but sure enough it's Christmas, you know, and he's honey I'm going out, you know, for uh, some eggs, and four days later, you know, you're, <laughs> right. yeah. So you look for kind of what you want, what you want to bring into your life, and you may end up having to do a lot of work to then, sometimes when you actually identify what you want, immediately what comes up is all your blocks or all your fears or all your hesitations, and you may have to do some work to clear that out. But then you find a focus. Maybe the focus is the mango, you know. Something that for you can represent that whole constellation of emotions and energies and events and things. And then you find a way to focus that emotion, that energy, that intention into that symbol. And then that starts to shift the energies around you and bring toward you some of the things that you are looking for and asking for.
0: But it's not something that you can... I'm going to have to have that by XYZ time because this is out-of-time work, aren't Yeah, it's
1: out-of-time work, and it's also, you know, we always say you kind of have to, you have to focus your desire and you also have to kind of give it up, you know. Oh, let say, go of it, yeah. You know,
0: and that's this is... some or of the hardest work, too. You know,
1: for the greater good of all, you know.
0: Well, we have to take a short break. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And, Starhawk, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Um, People can reach me through my website, www.starhawk.org.
0: Okay, great. And we'll be right back. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And my guest today is Starhawk. And welcome back. And we're going to be talking a little bit later in the show about winter solstice. Before the break, we were talking about uh, intention and emotion and an image. And one of the things that shocked me when I was reading Spiral Dance was that you've gone back and done some research and people have been doing this for 35,000 years.
1: I think that human beings have always known that we have access to many different states of consciousness and that, you know, the kind of consciousness we're most familiar with is really kind of something our culture impresses on us. You know, that kind of like I'm focused and I'm together and I've got this list of A, B, C and D to do and I've done you know, A and crossed it off and I'm going on to B, you know, right? right. That kind of consciousness. Pretty
0: linear and, and uh uh-huh. scientific and Newtonian and
1: Yeah. Um you know that that's one way of being but people who have lived close to nature, been in nature been in touch with the natural world and whose lives were integrally bound up with the cycles of the seasons and with the lives of animals and uh, with really knowing the animals because you had to know them to hunt them and to survive with them. Uh, Those people were aware of many other kinds of consciousness and awareness that was as familiar to them as our you know, get it done kind of consciousness is to us. Uh, and I think they were very much aware, you know, what to us seems like an esoteric concept that other beings have consciousness and are communicating to us, you know, That was no surprise. And not just animals, but animals, plants, you know, all of life, all of nature is has an awareness and it may be very different from ours. Um, but it is an awareness and it is always communicating in many, many different ways. And even scientists now know, you know, that the trees, for example, um, in the forest are linked by an underground network of fungi uh, that transfer chemical messages back and forth. And trees actually feed their young through that web of fungi. They send nutrients down. trees. And the sun will feed trees that live in the shade uh, and share nutrients. That's just fascinating.
0: I did remember reading something about this. And I also remember like a grove of oak trees will actually, their roots will grow into each other. Yeah. So they become a single being.
1: And the same with, you know, a redwood forest is really a single being. It's a a root mass that stems come out of. And even as old as the trees may be, thousands of years old... The root mass can be millions of years old.
0: And it really gives a different kind of focus to selective cutting then, because it's like, well, which finger do you want to have cut off, sort Mm -hmm. of? One of the things that I wanted to ask you, you talk about attuning to plants and animals and the cosmic process. Is it then attuning your consciousness to to that? How do we do that?
1: In my uh, last book, The Earth Path, Um, I wrote a lot about opening up and opening our consciousness to the natural world. And the way that we do that really is basically by stopping and listening and making some time to look, to listen, um, to bring ourselves into that neutral, grounded state. And from there, uh, I talk about shifting my practice from a lot of closing my eyes, meditating on my own internal imagery, to opening my eyes and looking and observing from that grounded neutral place, um, what the plants are saying, what the animals are saying, what's actually going on around me. I think maybe for me, because you know, by nature, I'm sort of one of those spacey, intuitive people that walks into walls without noticing them. You know. <laughs>
0: Oh, but you notice so much else, though. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, it's a profound shift to actually stop, open up, and really focus on being present in the physical world. You know, people think we're all rocking around the physical and, you know, it's hard to shift and get into some other state. But actually, I think most of the time we're walking around inside some story going on in our own head about who we are and what's happening to us and why everybody else is getting the good stuff and we're not, you know, and to stop that enough so you can actually hear the birds sing and then realize the birds are actually having their own bird world up there where they're communicating uh, important things to each other and that if you learn to listen to it, they can also communicate important things to you, you know. They'll they'll tell you what predators are out there. Uh, They say that, You know, Apache scouts knew when Europeans were tromping through the forest, when they were like three or four miles away just from the behavior and the sound of the birds. So you can become very much attuned to those things.
0: Well, and I remember when the tsunami hit, the elephants and many of the animals were heading for high ground. Yeah. You know, quite a while before the tsunami actually the wave actually hit.
1: Yeah, there were some phenomenal stories about elephants that, you know, refused to go down to the beach and, you know, pulled people and headed up for the hills. There's also a story about a whole indigenous culture on one of the islands uh, that they were very much afraid had been completely wiped out from the tsunami. And they came back afterwards and they found that they were all fine. They would headed for high ground, you <laughs> And when they,
0: didn't have the when, Western they, conditioning. when they said,
1: you know, how'd you know it was coming? They were just like, well, it was obvious. <laughs> 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 right.
0: So it's that kind of attunement. Yeah. That's really a lot of what I'm real interested in exploring in this series of shows that I'm doing. It brings me to ask you about the grounding process. How do you do that? How do you recommend that people do that? And is there a specific technique that you teach people?
1: Um, I teach people a technique that I've been practicing for many, many years, which is really very simple. Um, Just find a spot where you can sit and be comfortable or stand and feel your feet on the ground and notice your connection with the earth. And you can imagine yourself like a tree that have roots that go into the earth. You can take a breath, release anything you want to release into the earth, let it compost And then imagine you're drawing energy up from the earth, up through your feet and legs, up into the base of your spine. Imagine your spine kind of like a tree trunk that's alive and flexible with that energy moving up. And um, bring it up through your arms and hands, out through the top of your head, and back down to the earth. And then you can also draw in energy from the sky, from the sun and the stars and the moon, just like a tree draws energy in through its leaves uh, by breathing and by just feeling that energy flow go in and bring that all the way down to the earth. And if you do that often, then you start to (laughs) be able to do it quickly, which is helpful because sometimes when you really need to be grounded, you don't have time to sit down and do a 45-minute meditation. You you need to respond instantly.
0: When there's an intense situation that just happens to show up in the moment.
1: And so the more you pattern that state in your body, uh, the easier it is to go back to that state. There's also a wonderful group called the Wilderness Awareness School, uh, a man named John Young, who teaches a lot actually now in Bolinas with my friend Penny Livingston-Stark out at Commonweal. And um, she and I have taught permaculture courses together many times and we teach earth activist trainings together which combine permaculture design and the earth-based spirituality and um, training and organizing and activism. Um, But John teaches wilderness awareness and they have wonderful ways of teaching people to ground and to develop again that connection with the natural world. And I've done some work with him and found it really valuable. And one of the things he suggests is you find a spot, like your own secret spot in nature. And you sit there and you go there every day. Um, You may go there sometimes for hours or sometimes just for five minutes. Um, But you really take that time every day to be in the same place, open up, look, listen, take a moment and bring yourself into your physical senses. You know, when I, I have people often close your eyes to start with, because we tend to be very visually oriented. Uh, but then just close your eyes and notice what you're feeling and what the temperature feels like on your skin and what you're smelling. You know, Animals like dogs know everything you smell, and we tend to only notice it if it's really awful or really wonderful. <laughs> right, right. But your nose will tell you a lot if you pay attention to it. And notice what you're tasting in the air. Um, Notice what you're hearing. You know, really tune in to the bird sounds or the animal sounds or the traffic sounds or the weather sounds around you. Uh, When you really get to know a place, the soundscape alone will tell you, like, what the weather is and what's coming and uh, when animals are around and what time of day it is, you know, and what season it is. Uh, And then open your eyes and look and notice what you see uh, and sit and really take the time to do that. If you do that in the same place over time, then you really get to know a place. You get to know the animals that live there, the patterns, uh, how things change throughout the year and through the seasons. Uh, And you attune uh, in a different way, like... um, you no, know, I noticed last year when I was up in my land in Casadero, um, I like to go out for a long walk every day, and Casadero's the rainiest spot in California, you know, we get like a hundred inches through the winter. Wow. Uh, but I realized that whole winter, like, I stopped wearing a raincoat. It's like every day I went out for a walk, and uh, it wouldn't be raining, and I'd come back, and it would start raining, and... It was like I, I just knew sort of... I what were confused, you doing? You
0: know,
1: I just knew sort of, okay, when the break was. There's usually a break during the day and how to, sort of how to feel when that was and how to move through it uh, without getting drenched. You
0: know. But in a way, you know, some people would attribute that to saying, oh, well, you must have done something. Well, yeah, you got connected.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, many, many years ago, the very first witches I ever trained with Tell me, if you want to work with the weather, make friends with the clouds. Oh,
0: that's wonderful. So it really is this deep connectedness so that you're really moving out of the limited awareness of being a human person.
1: Yeah, you understand that we're not like separate isolated beings. We're all, I mean, just even on a pure physical level, you can't live for more than about five minutes without constantly taking in air. And that air itself is a gift of life. It was created by the whole life process that went on on the earth billions of years ago uh, when some of the earliest organisms, the little bacteria, figured out how to photosynthesize, how to take energy from sunlight, break apart carbon dioxide and water, and make food to live.
0: Which is so amazing.
1: And that process off-gas oxygen, uh, which at first was poisonous to life, you know, it burned life, life started to die off, and then other little critters learned how to uh, take that oxygen and run some parts of photosynthesis backwards Uh, and use that oxygen to burn food, which gives off carbon dioxide and gives back to the green things. And so you had, you, you know, every breath you take, you're participating in this great exchange that maintains the balance of the planet, that maintains all of life on Earth. And you're really literally taking in things that have passed through the bodies of, all these other creatures and beings and been recycled millions and millions of times. Uh, So there's no true separation.
0: Well, we're going to have to take a short break. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement, and my guest is Starhawk. And how can people get a hold of you, Starhawk?
1: Um, You can reach me through my website, www.starhawk.org.
0: Great. So we'll be right back. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement, and my guest today is Starhawk, and we are going to be talking about uh, winter solstice. Before the break, we were talking about getting connected, so that now that we're grounded and connected, talk to us about this time of year, and I remember while I was setting up my equipment, hearing you talk to someone about the winter solstice is kind of like the goddess is pregnant and is about to birth. Can you tell us about winter solstice?
1: Yeah, for witches, for people who celebrate the ancient religion of the great goddess, uh, the solstice is one of the eight major holidays of the year. Uh, the, f- the two solstices, winter and summer, uh, spring and fall equinox, and then the four cross-quarter dates that are in between. And the winter solstice in our tradition, um, we're... I'm part of a tradition we call reclaiming, which started here in the Bay Area among people who wanted to bring together our spiritual practice and our work as social change activists uh, many, many years ago. Um, And we have developed our own set of rituals, our own sort of set of mythology, our own kind of set of practices that we do. Um, But we have uh, seen the solstice as almost the rebirth of the sun. You know, it's the time of year when the sun has gotten lower and darker, the days are shorter, the nights are longer, and then on the solstice everything shifts and changes. Um, The ancients used to say it was the time when the sun stood still, because if you watch the sun set, you know, if you were to go to the beach every day and watch the sunset, you'd see it moves a little bit further south on the horizon every day, till the solstice, and then it sort of stops and then starts to go back. Um, so it's a real turning point. And symbolically, we say that the goddess who is Mother Night you know, is pregnant right now with this sun child who will be the new year. And uh, on solstice, she gives birth. And so tonight, we keep a vigil. We stay up all night long. Um, watching her through the labor and singing and chanting and also eating and hanging out and celebrating. And then at sunrise tomorrow, we'll go up on the hills and uh, dance the sun up and sing the sun up. Oh, what fun.
0: It's a midwifing process. That's right. And so it's also very much aligned with the birth and death. It's really... Interesting how it is that Donald Rumsfeld has now left office. Mm-hmm. And we are about to have the first woman speaker of the House ever.
1: That's right. And yeah, uh, you know, I've been saying it it feels, like, it feels like, you know, when you've been trapped in a crowded smoky room, you know, for hours and hours and hours and you can't see clearly anymore and you have a slight headache and <laughs> You know, but you've kind of gotten used to it, and then all of a sudden, someone cracks the window a little bit, and there's a little bit of a breeze. You know, and suddenly you go, "Oh, that's what fresh air smells like." And the smoke starts to clear, and you kind of go, "Oh, you know, over there in that corner, that's really a mess." <laughs> yeah, um, that's kind of the period we're at right now. There's a little bit of crack. There's an opening, and I think it's really important. And for me, that's part of the focus of the time and the ritual and the magic. To keep that crack open, to widen it, to allow more fresh air in, to blow away some of the fog that, in some ways, it's set over the country like a almost like a, you know, an evil spell, you know, of befuddling people and making people not be able to see clearly what's going on. Now it feels like that's starting to break up and lift a little bit, and we want fresh winds to blow that away and we want people to actually be able to see the real crises that we're in. You know, I mean, we're in probably one of the most dangerous periods of the earth's history right now. Ecologically with climate change and global warming, um, you know, we have the ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica on the verge of melting. Uh, we have losses that we're facing that are just almost incomprehensible uh that we're not paying any attention to you know meanwhile we're focused way over here on you know someone might be putting anthrax in our mail you know i mean certainly that's a danger but
0: and these poor people that are in such a a state of cultural trance because yeah. i know the cultural trance you're talking about that happened before 9-11, but it was actually enhanced by 9-11. Mm-hmm. But these poor people that are in this cultural trance where they're blowing themselves up, that's another kind of cultural trance. God is willing, we can invite some awakening to occur. So coming back to solstice, are there going to be specific things that you do tonight to, with intention and emotion and visualization to keep that crack open?
1: Yes, you know, tonight um, we'll go down to the beach and we'll jump into the ocean and cleanse. Ooh,
0: well, not for
1: long. (laughs) Not for long, yeah, although it's, uh, once you get over the sheer shock, it's quite exhilarating, you know, somewhat dangerous in Ocean Beach.
0: Is there going to be quite a few?
1: Yes, there's usually quite a a crowd, and, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. We've been doing it here on the beach for over 20 years, and now this year Golden Gate National Recreation Area has decided to ban fires on the beach, and we've been in negotiation with them about it, um, but have basically said, you know, this is our right, this is our religion, this is uh, our religious ceremony. Uh, It's a First Amendment right, and we're going to continue to have our celebration and our ritual.
0: And I'm certain that you've met some of their concerns about having fire that isn't tended.
1: Yes, we're very careful. We um, put the fire out at the end. We clean up very carefully. We're very careful not to put it in an area that's going to interfere with any birds nesting or anything else.
0: So have you come to an agreement with the, with the Park Service?
1: No. Oh, no. (laughs) They've said, don't do it there. And we've said, we're going to do it there. We'll see (laughs) what happens. My
0: goodness. So you jump in the ocean.
1: And then um, when we're cleansed and we have a bonfire and we raise energy to celebrate the rebirth and the return of the sun. Um, And, you know, again, this year... For me, part of that intention is feeding this sort of renewed sense of light and hope uh, and clarity that comes with light um, that is coming back into the world and really strengthening that and um, putting our energy and our intention behind the deepening of that clarity, you know, and that the light of truth and the light of. Vision coming back with the light of the sun,
0: and everyone will hold that intention yeah. inside and and from the neutral place. Then you go to a to the emotion.
1: Yeah, and so you know the bonfire is always very lively, and people are singing and chanting, and we raise a trem- and dancing, and we raise a tremendous amount of energy. And then um, many of us go back to smaller vigils. Uh, at our own houses and we'll keep vigil all night long and do some more intimate kinds of magic throughout the night. We might um, do personal work for the things that people want to bring into birth for their own lives. Um, our tradition is to bake bread and we need our hopes into the bread and then let it rise through the night and then bake it, and then eat it on the hill in the morning.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah.
1: And uh, then in the morning, we'll go and dance the sun up and sing.
0: And that's dancing the sun into being, into birth.
1: And celebrating its rebirth. Sometimes in San Francisco, it's celebrating the fog (laughs) growing (laughs) lighter.
0: Well, we're going to have to take a short break. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And uh, we're talking with my guest, Starhawk. And how can people get a hold of you, Starhawk?
1: People can reach me through my website, www.starhawk.org.
0: Great. Well, we'll take a few minutes and be right back. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement, and I'm talking with my guest, Starhawk. And we were talking before the break about raising the energy for solstice to birth the sun god. It's the sun god.
1: It's a sun god in our in our tradition, you know. Okay. I mean, we're not pagan literalists like the god, goddess, female, male, in oh, some okay. sense they're they're all just different images or symbols that help us to grasp energies and constellations of powers and possibilities mm-hmm. that really go beyond our human minds and our human capabilities.
0: I recently broadcast the Sounds True recording that you made about a beginner's guide to Wicca. Uh-huh. And it was so wonderful to hear you say, in a patriarchal culture, when a god is focused upon, then all men are god. But in a the, the goddess religion, with the goddess, all women become the goddess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All women become sacred.
1: And in the goddess tradition, in some sense, all of us are sacred. It's not just women are sacred and men are you, right. know, garbage, you know, no. garbage, right? because man also embody divinity. You know, we have goddess images and God images, um, but in a larger sense than that, like each one of us is an expression of that deep, interconnected, creative beauty that infuses the universe.
0: Yeah, and it's got to be in some balance. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, those who deny the opposite sex also deny that part of themselves.
1: Because we all are, you know, I mean, in some sense, male and female are kind of like, they're a nice way to divide up the world, but all of us are more and more complex than that.
0: One of the other phrases I saw going back to your first book, uh, The Spiral Dance, uh, was the starlight vision, awakening to the starlight vision. Talk to us about the starlight vision.
1: Well, that's part of the image of, again, different states of consciousness. It's the difference between the flashlight, you know, like rational consciousness, you can think of it like a flashlight or a spotlight. It lights up one thing. It says, okay, you know, I can focus on that little point and I can see it really clearly. But if you're walking out in the woods at night and you turn your flashlight off and you let your eyes adjust... You start to see in a different way. And even on a dark night when there's nothing but the stars, you know, you start to see patterns and shadows and energies and things that are more subtle. Uh, and you see the whole. You don't see a particular spot that clearly, but you see the relationship of the whole. And if you're trying to follow a trail through the darkness uh, without using a light, uh, which is always a good exercise to do. You know, you'll find that you start to awaken senses you don't normally use, you know, that broader kind of vision. Your feet will feel the way more than your eye will tell you the way. Um, You'll start to see just a difference between the walked upon trail and the stuff around it.
0: Are you talking about a psychic awareness?
1: Well, I'm talking about both, it's a psychic and also physical awareness. You know, it's not like there's a clear division between the two.
0: Can you talk to us about psychic awareness and what what you know of that and how you develop that in your students and and yourself?
1: Um, You know, I think what we call psychic awareness is just a very deep attunement to all those kinds of energies that are around us and to the many, many kinds of communications that we're constantly receiving from the universe around us. And, uh, you know, so I teach people how to do that in the same ways we've been talking about um, grounding, opening, taking time to listen, to look, to pay attention, uh, to pay attention to the energies that you can feel as well as all the physical stuff you can see and smell and sense. So once you learn how to get into your physical senses, then you can take it a step further and say, "Okay, and what's that subtler sense?" You know, I can look at you, I can hear you. Uh, If I got closer, I could probably smell you. You know, know, but I can also get a feeling for your energy and how it's moving through your body and how it's moving around you. Uh, And if I start to pay attention to that, you'll find that you can do that with plants, you can do that with animals that everything in the world is an energy being as well as a physical being.
0: But it really takes the, uh, the exercise of, of opening to that we are more than human beings in the normal cultural awareness of that.
1: One of the aspects of opening that deeper awareness is being aware of patterns, and looking for patterns rather than looking for single isolated objects and looking at relationships, how things move, how energies move between things, not just how each thing is on its own. And that comes out of that understanding that we are deeply interconnected and that nothing really is isolated.
0: Yeah, yeah. It really brings me back to this awareness that you're talking about the forest as one being. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's much, much greater than that, that we are one being with the cosmos, would you say? I mean, that's... And I also wanted to ask about when people have an intention, things don't always show up when we think that they ought to.
1: Right. When you have an intention and you put energy behind it, it doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to immediately happen exactly like you want Um, But it does mean that you've at least, you know, you've done your part to start shifting the energies and moving, you know, toward what you conceive of as the best good for all. And You've said that
0: several times, the best good for all, in in addressing the collective beingness. Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, um, we also have a saying that, you know, there's certain ethical constraints on your desires, you know, like if you're doing something for love, for example, you don't, you don't do love spells on a specific person and say, okay, I'm going to make, you know, Joe fall in love with me because that would be interfering with that person's free will. It also wouldn't make for a very satisfactory relationship any more than it would if you said, you know, okay, I'm going to, Make Joe fall in love with me by uh, blackmailing him, or you know, uh, arresting him if he doesn't, yeah. or you know, beating him up if he wants to marry somebody else. You know, you can't really base a relationship like that. Um, but you can open up and attract in the love that you need and the love that you want uh, to your life. But you always kind of do it with sort of that that little caveat that says, you know. This or something else that will work better for the good of all,
0: because I've also read uh, in your books that things come back to you threefold.
1: Yeah, uh, we say that what you send out magically returns on you three times over. So if you're interfering with somebody, if you're trying to blast somebody that made you mad, then you know the other day or something, then you're focusing on that kind of energy, and that means you're set, you're like a big beacon attracting that kind of you know, hatred or revenge kind of energy. What a puzzling thing
0: for the the Republicans to have evoked such fear over the last few elections.
1: Well, it's, uh, you know, I mean, people sometimes seem like they're really getting away with it when they're doing some pretty nasty and negative stuff, certainly politically, you know, the attack ads and the all corporate that stuff. world, you know. But in the long run, um, I think it does come back and when it comes back you know right, right, <laughs> right.
0: well I remember uh, from the Richard Attenborough film about Gandhi he was laying you know after one of his long f- fasts mm-hmm. saying think of it good has always triumphed uh-huh. over negativity well we're coming to the end of the show and I wanted to ask what you would recommend to our listeners to keep the crack open yeah of the sm- in, to let the fresh air into the smoky room?
1: Well, I think a lot of people break through the denial about what's going on, and it's really easy to sink into these little cycles of despair and worry and anxiety and where everything looks bleak and impossible and people are just in a tailspin. And I think it's really important right now that we actually realize there are tremendous solutions for our environmental problems um that we really know what we need to do we have the tools and there are a million ways to put them into practice in your own life um in your own home um you know there are a million resources out there now um you know if you're in West Marin like I said uh Penny Livingston-Stark is teaching all the time out at Wheel wonderful permaculture design courses. She and I teach earth activist training courses together uh, with other people. There are people organizing around sustainability all over Marin County. Marin County is really one of the leaders around so many of these areas. Uh, there are a million different things to get involved in. If you find yourself generating a lot of worry and negative energy... Find something to get involved in that you can put some of that energy into and something that really calls to you to work on. Uh, And that way, you know, you start to do something. Uh, Al Gore in his movie uh, says, you know, a lot of people move right from denial to despair without ever stopping in between to do anything (laughs) constructive. And if we do do something constructive, then we start to also... Generate those constructive and healing energies. And it creates a field. It creates a field, and in the long run, you know, I do believe that the Earth is alive and is a conscious being, uh, and and has a stake in our survival as humans, as well as the whole survival of biodiversity. And when you start to work with the living world in the natural world, then there are immense forces working with us for the healing of the Earth. It's a magical teaching that we're surrounded by helpful, benevolent powers and beings that want to help us. They just need to be asked. <laughs> and they do need to be asked. so we can ask, and part of the way we ask is by what we do. You know, it might be as simple as turning off the lights or uh, instead of using your dryer, hanging out your clothes, you know, um, organizing your neighbors too. Take some action around. To
0: recycle or have, because I was coming down the street and I went, oh, that's Starhawk's house. There's solar panels up there.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Anyway, we're out of time. Thank you so much for talking with us. I'm Anthony Wright and I'm your host today. And we've been talking with Starhawk. And can you tell people again how to get a hold of you? You
1: can reach me through my website, www.starhawk.org. And there's information there on Earth Activist Trainings, on all the different kinds of work I'm doing. You can sign up there and get on my mailing list and um, get the things that I write, Um, my calendars up there, if you want to know where I'm going to be speaking or teaching.
0: Because you travel around the world, really. Yeah,
1: and there's archives on the website from all the different work I've done over the last five years or so.
0: Uh, I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm your host today on Attunement. And thanks for tuning in, and see you next time. To order CDs of this and other of my shows, please go to my website, www.attunement.biz. That's A-T-T-U-N-E-M-E-N-T.biz, B-I-Z. Or call toll-free 1-877-833-6220. Again, that's 1-877-833-6220. Or in the San Francisco Bay Area, call 415 415- Seven two one nine nine seven seven again four one five seven two one nine nine seven seven this is program number twenty nine